Bible reading today, there's two of them. The first is from Matthew and the second is from Philippians. The first is Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through to verse 20 at the end of the chapter. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When Jesus saw him, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The second reading is from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, through to chapter 2, verse 18. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if, any, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. 
Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Uh, Thanks, Sarah, and good morning again, everyone. If you've been away the last couple of weeks, my name's Matt, and I'm one of the pastors at Trinity Church Kernelite Gardens, and today's uh, week three, the final week of our mission series. And I was just sitting there as the service um, commenced today, just really thankful to God for each of you, and thank you for thankful to God for how mission so clearly permeates uh, who you are as a church. I've already taken some ideas to go away and steal. I loved the 3 for 23 card, uh, the mission, uh, the women's mission breakfast, and of course the partnership uh, with the Hurleys. I think it's a great one. It's a wonderful thing actually to express gospel partnership together with other Christians beyond us. Uh, Me being here does that uh, in a small way uh, for us in the Trinity Network. But might I also, also suggest that if you're heading east sometime in the future, why not make it Uh, just kind of time your holiday or visiting others run to stop past uh, Broken Hill, to stop Bush Evangelical and uh, to make yourself known uh, to Brendan and and Laura there and express your partnership in the gospel with them as they so clearly put as brothers and sisters in Christ who are on the same mission uh, that we've been called to. Well, when it comes to inviting people on a mission, uh, for me, the 20th century Antarctic explorer Ernest Shackleton is kind of where it's at. Uh, Here's the advertisement he put in uh, the paper. It's in your leaflets, but also to pop up on screen uh, there as well. This is what he wrote to people. Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honour and recognition in event of success. Over 5,000 men applied to go to Antarctica with him. Uh, Just by the job ad, not many would have been expecting a cruise vacation. Uh, As we've opened the Bible together over the last two weeks, amidst what we've been learning from God's Word, I've put it to you in various ways that the context of our mission with Jesus is changing. Uh, The gospel never changes. What God has done for us in our grace and the the call for response never changes. But I put it to you, the context of our mission is changing. There is a much stronger and more vocal opposition to the message of Jesus, whether it's online, in government, at work, or in many schools. Uh, Social commentators have begun to explore and explain that this isn't just a passing fad, that it's actually a fundamental shift in our world. Uh, Steve McAlpine, in a book I've recommended and I think quoted from every sermon in the series uh, in your study guide, summarises this growing consensus as follows. He said, much of the pre-Christian world could be described as first culture, a world with many competing and warring interpersonal gods that were tribal in their allegiances and demands. They weren't evangelistic, seeking to kind of win new people to them. They pretty much stuck to their patch. Some cultures today, of course, are still like this in parts of Asia, South America, uh, Africa, worshipping ancestors, nature, and multiple and many gods. And then into our world uh, came what they call second culture, 
the rise of the one God faiths of Judaism, Christianity and Islam. And these were evangelistic. Christianity has, for example, reached out and broken down tribal and ethnic barriers. It's valued the individual, both men and women. And in many places, it has swept first culture's gods away. Over the last 25 years, however, what people are now calling, given in mind, you know, we're talking in thousands of year chunks here, people are saying over the last 25 years that people are now calling what's the beginning of third culture, a culture that firmly rejects the idea that anything beyond us exists at all. It rejects wholeheartedly the big picture storylines that Christianity and the one God religions along with Buddhism and Hinduism have provided for people to understand their lives through and understand how the world works with. Third culture has no, to think about it this way, third culture has no belief in the vertical relationship with something bigger. It only recognises horizontal societal relationships that we construct through politics and the tools of technology. So through social media now, advertising, Netflix, curated news feeds, we're now being discipled, particularly the younger generations, 24-7 and told that our greatest goal is to replace all outside rules with personal freedom and expression. To replace the idea of sacrifice for a common goal. To replace it with breaking free to pursue our own personal life goals and technology allows this case to be put before us with a dazzling array of images and videos and blogs and increasingly we're told that to hold to the ideas of the common good uh, to compromise to personally sacrifice and believe in something beyond ourselves like Christians do well those ideas are no longer there just to be ignored but rather silenced and marginalised. Because part of the success of this kind of new storyline the world is coming up with is based on actively suppressing dissenting voices. As a friend of mine from the Middle East said to me just weeks ago, he said, we have more freedom to talk about Jesus there than Christians do in Victoria. I really do recommend the Being the Bad Guys book from Steve McAlpine. It was... Christian Book of the Year in 2021 for some reason, which I've been quoting from. It's a super helpful read on our culture, and I'm looking at a few people who I know who've started reading it and found it alarming but helpful. But even just a brief outline like I've done today, it's easy, isn't it, just to feel a little bit intimidated. How do we as a church family get on with the mission Jesus has called us together to in such a rapidly changing world? Where do we find the hope, the strength, the comfort, the resolve and most importantly the grace for this mission in what is for us an increasingly hostile world? Well for that we turn to God's word and you'll find an outline of where we're going uh, uh, and uh, with our two readings that we heard just before. We begin with Jesus' great mission statement for his church, of course, often referred to as the Great Commission from Matthew 28. As Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Well, 
it makes pretty clear, doesn't it, that mission is the primary task of the church. And once someone is a disciple of Jesus, growth in Christian maturity, knowledge and obedience is how our life with God continues. Yet the healthy church always shapes everything it does by the mission that we've been given. Uh, as I often explain it at Colonel Light Gardens in our sort of newcomers course, I said, I think every church needs to see itself like a missional rescue ship because without a clear mission, it'll just become a cruise ship. If we were on a missional rescue ship heading and just coming into the harbour, dropping anchor off Indonesia after the tsunami, for example, we all get that intuitively it's so different than pulling into the Greek islands on a holiday cruise ship. So as I always say at our, at our welcoming course, I say to people, I'd rather a hundred people on the ship who know it's a missional rescue ship than a church of 150 with 50 people sitting on banana lounges thinking that it's a cruise ship. <laughs> because not only do cruise passengers not help, they're often quite demanding and bring extra work, distracting us from our mission. Those banana lounges kind of metaphorically get in our way. So if you think the Christian life is about being on a cruise ship, well, I often say here at Kernelight Gardens, we'll smile and gently encourage you off the banana lounge for a few months. But the day will come when I'll take out my knife, and I'm going to pop your banana lounge because Jesus has called us to mission. We're on a missional rescue ship. Our mission shapes each part of what we do and it applies to everything. Take our knowledge of God's word, for example. Some Christians are particularly gifted at remembering it and loving to learn things about the Bible, able to engage in complex theological discussions and deep thought. And if that is used in service of the mission, to keep us on the right track, to expertly heal the injured, to encourage us in a mission, it's a huge blessing to have them on our missional rescue ship. However, some people like to learn new things on cruise ships too. Like the person who learns a language just for fun on holiday. We don't want Christians to see Bible knowledge simply as an end in itself, just hoping that there's going to be a Bible trivia night on our cruise ship one evening. No, everything we do is shaped by our mission. Every team on the ship works together with the purpose of serving our common goal. And our expectations are realistic too if we know it's a mission or rescue ship. Our captain, Jesus, has been quite clear that we're to expect some rough conditions. As we consider our present challenges, we remember it was Jesus who first said to his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. John 15 verse 18. The good news Jesus brought was that his death on the cross for sin lovingly reconciles any person on the planet who comes to him with our creator God. Embedded in the very gospel message itself is a picture of cost and sacrifice now for a worthy and most glorious future goal. So as the realisation dawns on us this day that increased suffering and persecution are coming our way after what I would describe as a period of relative peace in the Western world, we should not be surprised. Jesus warned us of it 
the disciples experienced it. Scripture testifies about it, cover to cover, that this will be the norm over and over again. And Christians in most places around the world experience it every day. I would put it to you that as we look forward in the coming decades, now that baton of suffering for the gospel is being passed to us. Yet we should not be afraid. While Jesus' call to mission is a little more Shackleton-like than we might have appreciated, there's an important difference between Shackleton and Jesus. Jesus is not simply judge, redeemer, perfect sacrifice, willingly offering himself for our sins as our most wonderful saviour. There is no safe return doubtful clause to Jesus' call. He is Lord of all creation, whose victory is sure, who says to us, after this great mission call, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And Jesus calls us to this great task together. And I chose our second reading from Philippians because I think it explains our mission together beautifully and with great clarity, hope, and dare I say rejoicing. Let's look at it together. Verse 27, Philippians chapter 1. It's actually my absolute favourite verse in the whole Bible uh, on what church is about. I often say to my own church, if I could choose one verse, that if it was true of us, I'd be happy. As the Apostle Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Paul's yearning for the Philippian church is one that I would love you to hold on to and strive to together as Trinity Church Woodcroft. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of a group of people united together by the Spirit of God, standing firm together as one, striving forward together, contending for the faith of the gospel. To me, it describes in one verse kind of the most well-drilled, team-driven missional rescue ship that there is. I also love this passage because it's both aspirational and realistic with a Shackleton-like expectation clause coming with it. Verse 28 assumes that we will face frightening opposition, yet affirms those who oppose Jesus will not triumph, but that God wins and will personally see to it that each member of his family is secure with him forever. And it goes a step further, letting us in on a truth we do not expect. Suffering for Jesus is not just an unavoidable and unintended consequence of being uh, on his team. God is not indifferent to our suffering. God has not lost control. Verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Suffering for the gospel with our victory sure is part of God's plan for us. It's an honour to suffer for our Lord who has suffered for us. Our world is presently discipling us to live in the moment, avoiding any pain, rejecting any call to sacrifice or suffer for the sake of another, Because its highest value is the authentic self, enjoying and living in the moment. 
Yet only a generation ago, and really for the last 2,000 years, we got the idea that it's a good thing to suffer now for the sake of glory later, that we sacrifice personally for the sake of the common good. Our governments knew it. Our veterans knew it. Even our sporting teams knew it. American uh, football coach, great Vince Lombardi, captured something, I think, that's not just beautiful about sport, it's beautiful about life, saying this, and I think we've got the quote up on screen. He says, I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, the greatest fulfilment of all that he holds dear, is that moment when he has worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle victorious suffer now for glory later it's how jesus lived his life it's why he went to the cross out of great love for you and for me and he called his church to it that we might find our finest hour exhausted victorious with him in the new heavens and in the new earth having given ourselves to the greatest cause that there is. Because we are not called to a life of ease, because we are called to participate in the most loving, unified team there is, the Apostle Paul then says in chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one in spirit and of one mind. Paul sees great joy in calling the church to this. Instead of vainly pursuing selfish ambition, God calls his church through the Apostle Paul to something else entirely. A community full of people who look not to their own interests, but firstly to the interests of others, with humility valuing others first. Which is a high calling, yet we follow our Lord and Saviour, of course, who loved us that way first, and he calls us to follow him, who didn't grasp onto his divine nature, rather he humbled himself to come to this world as a servant, as verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I asked my friend from the Middle East that I've uh, mentioned a couple of times in recent weeks why he thought the church was growing so fast there. He joined a church in 2009 of 100 people. It's now 4,500. Uh, it's a place in the world where the church is growing perhaps faster than anywhere else at the moment. Now, God does what he does when he wants to do it, and there's always an element of mystery in such things. Yet he said, humanly speaking, people from all around the world are coming to that region, looking to make their fortune, and they're away from their usual support networks and family and friends. And the way business goes there, it's very transactional. People only do things to get something from you. It's a dog-eat-dog world where everyone is striving to get ahead and to gain an advantage. And he said, amidst this, they start to bump into Christians in the workplace as the church is growing there now. 
who are prepared to invest in others, to love others, to see them grow, who put others' needs before their own. And he says the contrast there is absolutely startling. People find out that wealth does not provide what they're looking for. It promises much, but the reality is often so harsh and empty. Its pleasures are short-lived. But then they're invited to church, then to someone's home for a meal, and then often to open God's word together. And this community of grace, kindness, and other person-centeredness shines so brightly against a backdrop of such selfish pursuit. So as we think on our world here, as it gets a little darker and a little more self-centred, as politics becomes more polarised and people just abuse each other, as people become more self-righteous and angry, as the promises of growing wealth wealthier year on year falter, I'm actually quite positive about what this will mean for our mission as a genuine and real Christian church family like this one will shine all the more brightly. The Apostle Paul lived in a very different yet even more intimidating times where the level of public opposition to the gospel was higher. We're catching him. But he says to the church then, and equally to us, keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling. For, starting verse 13 of chapter 2, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. There is really nothing better than being part of a grace-driven community as we hold on to God's word, led on mission by our Lord Jesus. It's a misstep I often hear uh, people talk about more widely. Uh, People think we need to kind of create a better community and focus on ourselves for a while and then we'll be better placed to step out more boldly on mission. I say it's a misstep because I think there's no better way to form community than being on mission together, striving together as one, modelling our relationships with one another on how Jesus loved us, reaching out with the gospel, rejoicing in the gospel. It creates the best kind of community known to this world, which itself is a great mission weapon. And so the wheels spin faster and faster as we engage in mission together. I've been quite open in this series that I put it together as I was planning the year ahead for Kenlight Gardens and Tonsley because I think through everything we've been through in the last few years, we've lost some of that mission spark at our church and I wanted to rekindle the fire. You just get to hear this sermon series first, the way the year panned out. But years ago, when we had more of that spark, Uh, One of my craziest ideas that we put into practice, and I've got a few, was to do a wood oven pizza night uh, a few years back uh, at the end of the first week back at school. I thought, I want everyone in the local community to know uh, of our church, and we letterbox dropped them, uh, and we're very open uh, with the idea that we're doing this because we want you to invite to be part of our church family. 
So we offered two free wood oven pizzas to everyone in the local community. We would either deliver it to them uh, or they could come to the RSL uh, with us. Uh, In an hour and 40 minutes, we did 150 wood oven pizzas, which for the mathematicians amongst us is one every 40 seconds. It was an epic logistical challenge. And uh, you'll see the photo up on screen. I, uh, I think we picked up four local families from it in the months that followed. But more importantly, it gave our church family loads of opportunities to talk about the church family that they loved and why we would love others that we don't know in such ways and to talk about Jesus. Uh, Mandy, who was in that photo uh, there on the right, said her best conversation was with a friend who said, I'm not looking into religion at the moment, but if I was, I would definitely join a church like yours. (laughs) And she was blown away, not by only the generosity but how she saw people, old and young, working together under some uh, pretty extreme sort of MasterChef challenge time pressure, but with love, kindness, grace and great unity. So, Trinity Church Woodcroft, where does all this land for you? Most churches, mine included, are in somewhat of a rebuilding phase when it comes to how we reach out with the gospel. As I said, I've already been really encouraged by what I've heard in the service today. I think you're a step ahead of us. But as you rebuild, here's just a handful of points of application that we've learned from God's Word today and over the last two weeks. There are many more, but I I tried to choose a selection that are easier for me to say as a guest preacher who doesn't know you well, and so I can shoot from the hip and ride off into the sunset later today. (laughs) Firstly, the point I've uh, tried to make clearly, everything that we do as a church together needs to be shaped by our mission. It is our primary given by Jesus purpose as a church as we seek to bring glory to God. If you were to add up all the energy and time each one of you have in the week to serve Jesus with, all of Colin and Sharon's time too, uh, you could spend all that time five times over by making the perfect kids program. You could tip it all into pastoral care or writing better Bible studies and never have any room for thinking, praying or being on mission. As such, I'd encourage you to kind of love the concept of minimum effective dose. So we've got a couple of doctors uh, here in the congregation, I know. Doctors, when prescribing medicine, are always after the minimum effective dose for the right outcome, so they don't over-medicate at people. Kids' programs, pastoral care, Bible studies are all important. But don't weigh Colin and Sharon down with hefty expectations, because this is not a cruise ship. It's a missional rescue ship. Do those things as well as you need to be done to have a healthy team because real community comes, real purpose in the church is found by focusing together on our mission. Secondly, because there's lots of things that need to be done on a missional rescue ship to keep the team healthy for mission, I would encourage you to serve Jesus by taking responsibility for an aspect of church life. I know Colin and I hear him speaking warmly of so many of you who give yourself so lovingly for different aspects of church life. Keep going. It makes a massive difference for the mission to have people taking responsibility for one another and our ministries. It's probably the big talking point coming out of COVID with pastors all over Australia and indeed all over the world. As people come back, 
Uh, people are eschewing responsibility and saying, I want to help out, but just tell me what to do. And that leaves the kind of the, um, you know, people in Colin and Sharon's role just needing to kind of get bogged down and knowing how everything works. Totally different when people take responsibility for even a small area of church. It's so important for our mission. Can you imagine a mission or rescue ship running where every decision people had to run up to the deck and ask um, uh, for instructions from the captain? I say that in an encouraging way because, as I said, I hear Colin and Sharon speaking well of you uh, in that. So keep going. Because our world is constantly discipling us to avoid taking responsibility for things that conflict with our personal freedom. And it's constantly telling us that sacrifice for a future goal is not worth it. Jesus calls us, Shackleton-like, to ongoing sustainable sacrifice now for the immense joy of glory later in the new world. Third, please do... This is You realise at this point it's a rather random selection of things that I've been thinking about lately. Third, please do pray for and have a passion for our youth. They are on the front line of this world that's pushing forward into this third-era world that I've described, that is rejecting you know, any grand narrative to life and uh, rejecting uh, Jesus out of hand. They are being bombarded 24-7 with dazzling images, videos and curriculums that are discipling them to reject sacrifice for Jesus, or anything else for that matter, and instead embrace themselves and glory now. Investing in them is not just a good thing to do, it's absolutely critical for the mission. So love them, pray for them. Read a good book, like I suggested, Being the Bad Guys, so that you understand the world that they are inheriting and the challenges they face. Resource ministries to them with your time and finances, like I know that you're doing. You'll be surprised what Jesus can do with a handful of faithful youth. And finally, as opposition to the gospel rises and Christianity is once again moving back to the persecuted margins once more as that baton of suffering for the gospel is being passed to us. Because of who Jesus is, Lord of all, most wonderful saviour, leader of the mission as he builds his church today, hold firmly to the word of life, God's word. Because in doing so, we can together to simply find the strength to refuse to be intimidated, to refuse to feel scared. We will be unsurprised when trials come. We can refuse to kind of slip into that angry caricature of the Christian at the world at the moment that so many do in public forums. Instead, we can have that quiet, humble, grace-driven life that keeps the faith even as far as loving our enemies. Trinity Church Woodcroft, let Philippians 1.27 be true of this church. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Can I lead us in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much 
uh, that in your great plan, out of your great love for us, you sent your Son, our Lord and most wonderful Saviour, Jesus, into this world, uh, not only to lead the perfect life, to teach us many things, but ultimately to die upon the cross for the sins of the whole world, so that any who might place their trust in him might find themselves as part of your eternal family forever. You know this world far more perfectly than we do. Uh, You know this rising rejection, particularly in the West, of such grand stories as this. But we know this as Christians to be true, actually to be the most wonderful news there is for any human being on the planet. Please help us to live and to speak in such a way that commends the good news of the gospel to others. Please continue to bind together this wonderful community here at Trinity Church Woodcroft so that they might stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one people for the sake of the gospel. We say this all for your glory, Lord. And we know you don't uh, need this church or the Trinity Network or anyone to accomplish your means in this world. But we want to say we stand here today. We love you. We would consider it a great blessing to be used by you as Jesus, your son, builds his church on earth today. Please do this for your glory, for our encouragement, and for the sake of the over 1.2 million people in our city who don't know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. It's in his precious and very powerful name we pray. Amen.